This past week, in fact, uh, most weeks, I sent out an email blast, uh, just some things uh, to share with the congregation. And this, this last Thursday, I believe it is, I, I shared a little story I'd heard many, many times before. And I, in fact, I, I think I introduced it as a familiar story. And it, it comes out of World War II. And it went something like this. Uh, as uh, this particular incident happened in the life of uh, a captain as he was navigating his ship and, and leading it in the waters during uh, that conflict that went worldwide. The story is a captain who looked in the dark night and saw that light in the distance. Immediately he told his singleman to send a message. After your uh, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly a return message was received after uh, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angry because his command had not been uh, um, heeded and there was no submission to what he had requested. So he sent a second message after your alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. And then there was another message that was received back from them, and, and it was, alter your course, 10 degrees north, I am a seaman, third class. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear it would evolve from it. He said, alter your course, 10 degrees south, I am a battleship. Then the reply came back, alter your course, 10 degrees north, I am a lighthouse. Now, I, I sent that out, and sometimes I get responses back, just as Bill shared, as we uh, give out responses both verbally and online and things like that. And it was from Peter Liu, who also uh, served in World War II, and he was a, he was a navigator on ship. And, and this is what he said to me. Well, you, your story does illustrate the point there is a time in which you need to submit to those who are giving you uh, orders in terms of uh, life. Uh, but he said this about this particular story. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because... On a World War II ship, if you were in the navigation uh, part of the ship, uh, you, would, you would have a chart, you'd be drawing lines constantly, and you would know where you were headed and where you'd been, and you would know if there was a sunken ship, where there was a reef, uh, and you would definitely know if there's a lighthouse near you. In, in fact, as I read your story, what I thought about, if, if this had happened in real time with real people, that, that the fleet admiral would then have sent a message to the uh, the captain of that battleship, and say, you are now removed from your responsibilities. <laughs> so as you think about submission, submission happens all the time as we are encountering life, and sometimes we think we're in charge, and we're giving out orders, and then we find out the things that we're saying don't make sense, and they cannot be submitted to. And, and what we're going to talk about today in this little book written by Peter, who was one of the three closest companions of Jesus while he was here on earth, and when Jesus sent him out as he, as he resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, he, he commanded uh, Peter, said, I, I, do you love me? He asked that question, and then he said, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, and feed my sheep. And, and when you would read about Peter, whether, whether it was about him or when he wrote his letters, it really was a message all about Jesus. And as we begin this letter, as we have been, I've been in here a number of weeks, he really wanted to emphasize that our hope in life is found in a person, and that person is Jesus. In fact, we have so much of a hope that it is a living hope because he has been raised from the dead, and as we encounter life, we can be certain that our future is going to be so much better than it is right now. And so that's why we've entitled the message, Be Hopeful No Matter What. 
But as we think about that, and sometimes when we read certain promises or certain themes in Scripture, we, we say, well, it sounds good on paper, but now I'm living out in real life. And that was about to happen to those who he's writing to. And he had, he had described them as aliens and strangers in a land, and they had been dispersed uh, probably in Asia Minor. And things were going to get a lot worse before they were going to get a lot better. But he was urging them to be hopeful because no matter what happens in this life, when we follow Jesus, it's going to be better than if we hadn't followed Jesus. And then ultimately in the life that is to come, that's when our hope will be fully realized. But he's about to talk about something that we, depending upon which side of the equation we're on, is either filled with um, uh, positive thoughts or negative thoughts. And that's the whole idea of submitting. I've entitled the message, Hopefully Submitting. And you can take hopefully submitting in in both ways. And our normal way of describing hopefully is, uh, I I wish this was going to happen. I'm anticipating this might happen, and this is a good direction to go. Or you can take it, hopefully, as this is a settled thing. When you do what God says, and in this place it's submitting, uh, then this is what will bring your life hope, that no matter what you're going through, life is going to get better because you're trusting God's plan rather than your own plan. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter, and we're in chapter 2, and if you want to find it, if you're not that familiar, you can look in the table of contents, or you can go to the last book in the Bible, which is the second most easy, easiest book to find, Genesis is probably the first, which is the first book in the Bible. Go to Revelation, which is the last book, and then hang a left, and you'll run into it in a few, uh, in a few uh, pages as we go into 1 Peter. And as we look at it this morning, uh, first of all, I want to write just that first phrase, and then I'm going to give a running commentary on the short section we're going to look at, and then I'm going to, I'm going to try to deal with some issues related to submission that might be on your heart and your mind, and it is even in our church as well. And so, first of all, I want to try to answer the question, what is this submission thing all about? And just to make sure I'm not inventing this whole theme, in 1 Peter chapter 2.13, it says this, Submit yourselves, so he's probably talking to everyone he's writing to, and if we're interested in following Jesus, he's probably talking to who? Us, Right? Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to some human institutions. Is that what it says there? (laughs) To every human institution. And so you see Peter writing a pretty blanket statement and a challenging one because he's saying, I want all of you to submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. It's interesting that word institution comes from an interesting word in the, in the Greek language, which could be translated to every human creation. Uh, and he's not talking about that humans created it, but the source of everything in this world is God. To everything that God has put in place, I want you to submit to it if it has some authority over you. And then you might say, well, is, is there a loophole in what the word submission means? Uh, even though I wasn't particularly thinking that way when I wrote that little dumb story that Peter Lude corrected me on. And Peter, as you're listening, don't correct me in public again, all right? No, no, it's it's all right. We have a lot of good times together. But as you think about it, it is that this really comes from a kind of a military perspective. Really what the word submit means, hupotasso in the Greek, means to arrange yourself under, 
to range yourself, or to some say, put yourself in formation to put yourself under the authority of someone else. And in many ways, we can, in fact, we'll look at it a little bit. There, there's all kinds of institutions out there in which you have some people who are in leadership positions and other people who are in follow the leader position, right? As we think about government, government officials, they, uh, they're in a particular nation. And, and when we think about it, let me just back up a moment. When Jesus left here, when he was giving his instruction to the disciples, he, he made a pretty bold statement. He, he said in terms of the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that God the Father had given him all authority in heaven and on earth. Now think about that for a moment. That Jesus was saying, I just want to let you know is I'm going to send you out and I'm going to give you some marching orders and things I want you to do to follow me if, if you're a true follower, disciple of me. I have the right to do so because I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And so as we think about that, well, how does that fit with all these human institutions that we're supposed to submit ourselves to, to arrange ourselves under? You know, government is one of them. And as we think about government, a government has a delegated authority. If Jesus has all authority for anyone else to have authority, then that authority has to, be, has to come from him, right? Because he has all of it. And so he has delegated authority to certain human institutions. But we have to just be fully aware here that there are some limitations. A government has authority over its citizens, right? But if you were to go um, have a foreign dignitary come to our nation, would they have authority over us? No, because they would have authority over their uh, citizens, but when they come here, they don't have authority over us. Our government does. And, you know, take another perspective. Um, you, know, we all, I, you know, take the family. You have parents and children, and hopefully the parents are in charge and the children are what? <laughs> Following. You know, that, that's the challenge for parents. But as you think about that, it's a delegated authority that God has put together. It's, it's a human institution, Genesis chapter 2, that he has put together. But as you think, it's still limited, right? It is as a parent, I had authority over my children, but if another parent came in, do they have that same authority over my children that I do? Of course not. You take all the different institutions out there. Uh, I've been a coach, not, not at, a highest, at the highest level, but when I coached a team, I had authority over my players, right? But could I go to the other team and tell them what to do? Of course not, because my delegation, my, my responsibilities and authority was a delegated one by the league or whatever it might be, but I only have authority over my players. And you go on and on and on in terms of all kinds of institutions, is that there's a delegated responsibility and authority, but it's limited. And, and that's even in terms of law as well, isn't it? We have in our nation the Bill of Rights, and one is the freedom of speech, right? But is that... Is that all comprehensive? I mean, is, is that, does that apply in every single situation? And we, we've heard since we were a, a little one that you have the freedom of speech, but if you're a crowded theater, you can't yell what? Fire. Fire. Uh, because that freedom of speech is limited to the impact and influence it have on other people. 
And so as we think about this passage, and we're going to try to see its implication for all of us and its application for all of us, is we need to realize that first of all, as as God's people, and that's a, a choice every one of us have to make if we're going to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus, when we follow Jesus, because he has all authority, are there any limitations on our end to follow him? No, because he has all authority in every dimension of life. But every place he's delegated authority, there are some limitations. However, as I say that, the emphasis is that that when we are under someone else's authority, whether it's in the workplace, you have an employer, an employee, and the employer has the right to tell you what to do as you work for them, but he can't go to somebody else's authority. job, place, and tell them what to do. We are called to submit ourselves, to arrange ourselves under those who are leading and follow what they have to say. So let me give you a running commentary, and then we're going to go back and try to pick it out. So what is submission? It's arranging ourselves under someone who has appropriate authority over us. Ultimately, that's the God. And when we do that, one of the things that does is it mirrors our relationship with him. And just think for a moment, and this is going to be somewhat of a shotgun as we, as we try to go into the, the theme this morning, it is what is the absolute worst form of government um, out there? We might say dictatorship, right? But there's actually a worse one, and that's no leadership. Anarchy is the absolute worst form of government in the world. And so what he is saying here, because there, there were some pretty bad leaders when Peter was writing this. Anybody want to exchange Nero, 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 Nero for any of our presidents that we've had over the last 30 years? I mean, he was a despot. In fact, that's one of the words that we're going to see in the text if, we, if I translate it that way. But he had ultimate power and do whatever he wanted. But as we think about it, the worst form of government, the worst form of leadership is when everyone does that which is right in their own, their own eyes. It's chaos. So he goes to them and he says, submit their, yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Everything's been created to be, have leadership responsibilities. Whether to a king as the one in authority, and then he uses that delegation authority uh, illustration here, or to governors as sent by him, this is the king here, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So not only do you submit, and not only do I submit to those who are in the highest positions of authority, but even as they delegate in their sphere of responsibility, we are to respond to them as well. And then he goes on and says, for such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And we're going to come at that in a moment. But when he talks about ignorance and foolish, he says, ignorance is having knowledge but not using that knowledge. Foolishness is having the ability to think, but you're not thinking. And then he says, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. What's interesting about there, he was saying, look at uh, Peter, you're kind of contradicting some things Jesus said. Jesus said, if you know the truth, it will set you free. Well, if I'm free, why am I tell- letting anybody in the world tell me what to, to do, right? 
You know, I'm the captain of my ship. You know, I, I, I'm the one who, who governs whatever I do. And, and don't ha- I, I hate having people tell me what to do. And so if I'm free, I can do whatever I want. But he says, you are free, but I want you to understand there is, a, there is someone you're under, and that is the living God. So you are a bond slave. You have chosen uh, to enter into that relationship. Then in verse 17, he says this, honor all people. And we could just stop right there and preach a message, right? It's one thing to say honor people. But when you add that little you know, description there, honor how many people? All people. Now, if we were in a small group, we might go around, if we get everybody, give them true serum, and say, is there anybody in your life right now you have a hard time respecting, seeing as important, valuing their life, raising them up to a place where they feel important and you communicate that to them? I won't have a show of hands, but, you know, he says, look at honor all people. And one of the reasons we can honor all people is because uh, who made all people? God did, right? And he made him the image of God. And, and not only that, uh, how many people did Jesus die for? He died for all people. And so we ought to see everyone as important. It's an interesting word there for honor. It really has the idea of, of realizing the value of someone and, and just, just how weighty they are. And uh, it really had could be used even to, to measure the, the load that someone could carry. And, and sometimes we'll use that. When, when someone is important, and, and particularly they have something to say, we might say, whatever they say carries a lot of weight, right? And I want you to realize that the people you come in contact with, they carry a lot of weight in the eyes of God because God made them and Jesus died for them. And, and then he goes on from dealing with that. He says, oh, and love the brotherhood. Most of the comment on that passage really says, look, I not only want you to love individuals, but I want you to love groups of people. And the brotherhood there, most will comment on that and say that really has a reference to the church. And if you've been in church life at all, you realize that there are a lot of people in church that are easy to love, and then there's a few people, you're probably sitting next to them, that are harder to love, right? But he said, love the brotherhood, love all those who God has brought into the family of God. And he says, fear God and honor the king. Uh, sometimes it, it's not easily discerned in the English rendering of, of scripture, but these are all in the present tense. Honoring people, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, honoring the king, keep on doing that. And then he goes on, servants, be submissive, and that's that submissive word here which is the idea of arranging yourself under your masters. Now he's dealing not only in the the slave trade there, but also from our perspective, the employer-employee perspective. Be submissive to your masters. And then he says, not only just arrange yourself under and do what they do, but it's how you do it with all what? Respect. And so when we're looking at people, not only do you do what you do, but how do you do it? And then he even raises the ante a little bit. He says, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, you know, we could just stop here and just think about the implications of this. It's not only what you do, but how you do it. And not only what you do and how you do it, but who we're all called to do it to. 
It's one thing to respect someone who, who demonstrates that person is worthy of respect, right? It's one thing to honor someone who is worthy of honor. In fact, in Romans, it says, they render honor to whom honor is due. But right here it says, you give honor to people who don't deserve honor. And there are a lot of people out there that he says, look, I want you to respect and I want you to submit, range yourself under to those who, not, who aren't necessarily good. And the word there has the idea of beneficial. As you are working for them or following their direction. And, um, you know, I look back and I've been a coach and I've been a player on teams. And there are certain coaches I didn't quite respect as much as I respected other ones. And usually it's because they didn't give me the playing time I thought I deserved, Right. And he said, look, they weren't beneficial to me. They they didn't allow me to prosper like I thought I could prosper. And the idea of gentle, and I'm still working on being kinder and gentler. The idea of gentle has the idea of being considerate. That in in your presence, do they they look at your needs or or is it always about them? But to those who are unreasonable. Anybody know anybody unreasonable? This is a really colorful word in the original language. It comes from scoliosis, from which we get scoliosis. And scoliosis is a description of someone's what? Usually their, the curvature in their spine, their back, and it's all messed up and it's curved. And really has idea, as we think about that, it's a person that's, that's broken. A person that, that is doing things that are all screwed up. The, thing, the people who are doing things that are perverse, just unreasonable. They're, they're just crooked in the way they, they live and the way they think. And, and then finally, just one other verse, and then we'll go through the text, at least the thought process of what I want to share today. For this finds favor for the sake of conscience toward God. A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. You know, when, when you mess up, and I don't mess up, but when you mess up, you know, and, and you get the consequences of messing up, you know, it, it, it's irritating, it's frustrating, it's unpleasant, it's something you wish didn't happen to you, but you go, well, I got what I deserve. You could just fill in my sermon today. You all know my point, right? And it's one thing, yeah, when you mess up and, you know, the reality of messing up, you, you got what you deserved. But, but he's saying here, look at, I, I want you to live life in such a way that when you get things you shouldn't get because you didn't deserve it, I still want you to arrange yourself under and treat that person with honor and respect. And, and hopefully I painted a picture by just doing a running commentary on those passages that in First Peter and you're going, wow. This, this doesn't give me a whole lot of hope in saying this is how I want to live. And, and what he's saying here, I want you to get the big picture because when we respond submissively to people in positions of authority and responsibility with not only actions but attitude, what we're learning to do is, is depend upon what God has done in our lives because quite frankly, are there times when you're kind of irritated with what God does or doesn't do? Have you ever had any prayer requests that weren't answered exactly the way you wanted to be answered in the timely manner that you wanted it to be done? Is there any point when you look around and there's no one else in the room that you can blame 
other than possibly yourself, and you look around, and really the only person you really could blame because he has authority and power to change anything and everything, you can only blame who? You can only blame God. And what are you saying here? I want you to understand, you're, you're going to live in a broken world, and when you live in a broken world, you're thinking, is there any source for that wor- uh, in, in this universe to, to, to mend and, and set in place that's broken and make it right? Uh, anytime and at all times, and it's God. And when that doesn't happen, can you still range yourself under me and follow me when you understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing, but you trust me? And God is gonna make everything right in the future, but we live in a broken world, and what his passion is is for us to reach out to people who are broken and help them find hope in Jesus. So he's trying to tell these who are gonna experienced life, which was difficult now, but it was going to get worse in just a matter of months, I want you to understand that as you encounter life and you encounter those who are over you, I want you to submit, arrange yourself under them, honor them, respect them. Even when they're not good, they're not beneficial to you. Even when they're, even when they're not gentle with you, they're not considerate of your needs. Even when they're unreasonable point, they're just crooked in what they do. I want you to suffer well, even when life's unjust. Now, if we were to stop right here, you'd be thinking, this doesn't, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, I don't know if you've um, experienced what's becoming a phenomenon over the last number of years, but I don't know if any of you have ever watched TED Talks. Anybody watch TED Talks? We got two people, three people here maybe watch the TED Talk. Well, interesting thing about TED Talks is they, only, they, they last a lot, uh, not as long as people preach like me. They're usually only about 15 minutes, and so you, you listen quickly, they get their main points, and they get off. Uh, there's a guy named Simon Sinek who's uh, uh, gotten really famous with TED Talks, and his most famous TED Talks, he says, you know, the, there's, there's the most important question that everyone needs to have answered if, if their life gonna go, is going to go in a different direction. And what he says to that, the most important question to help people change what they're doing to what they could be doing is to answer the question, why, for them. And so in the, in the I can't, oh, I guess I could see over here how much time I have. I could, I could have, I got 50 more minutes when I look at that clock. Okay, is that, you know, how do you answer the question, why, to range yourself under uh, when this doesn't make a whole lot of sense? And so that's what we're going to try to do fairly quickly in the time we have left. How about everybody's objections? And if I was to rewrite this, I would have put a little bit more symmetry to it because I've got does submitting, does submitting, and then I begin with why. But if I were to change the first question, I would say this. Does submitting mean there's a why with someone who is unjust in my life but is over me? I put it this way simply in your outline. Why would anybody submit to someone unjust? And we've already really seen it, but I'll read a couple of the verses we've already read. Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Human institution. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 15. Why? For such is the will of God. Now, you remember as a parent, you know, when uh, you got questions from your kids, and uh, uh, Mark is my son. I've said this to you before. Um, and when he was growing up, his... Um, he had a question he asked over and over and over again, so much so that I changed his name to question mark. Is that, but no matter what I told him, it was always, why, 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 you know? 
And, you know, being the brilliant man that I am, I always gave him all kinds of great reasons. And eventually I just said, because, 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 because. But, you know, he, he wanted to know why. He not only wanted to know what I wanted him to do, but he wanted to know why he was supposed to do it. And now here's a pretty blanket statement. Why? Because it's the will of God. Because I'm your parent and you're the child. You just do what I say. Uh, you, you have, in verse 19, you have another little bit of clue into that because usually the why of just because is not sufficient. Now, because God, and unlike me, uh, God is the perfect parent and I'm not the perfect parent, it, it's just be, knowing it's the will of God, even when we don't fully understand it, should be sufficient. But in verse 19, he gives us another clue to the why when he says, for this finds favor with God. The word favor really comes from the word grace, which is, I know you might not understand all the particulars of why I want you, what, why I want you to do it. This is, this is my desire for you. But I want you to know if you'll do it, you'll experience grace in life. It will be for your favor. It will be better for you, not me, Though it might be, and there might be some of the ramification for that as a human parent. But I want you to know, even though you don't fully understand it, this is going to be for your good, for your favor, for your grace. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and we're going to see some of that as we look at it later on in the, in the passage. So why should we submit, arrange ourselves under someone who's unjust, unfair, not good, unreasonable, crooked in situations that uh, we know that they're an authority and we are not. Uh, because this is God's will for you. This is going to be better for you now and for the future when you l- learn to submit yourself to people who are responsible for you. But then you ask yourself the question, okay, okay. You, you, and this was true in the message. Uh, when you build up, well, there's, God has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's delegated authority out, and that authority to every human institution has limitations, right? We talked about that. So then you ask yourself, well, does that mean I need to submit? And does submitting mean I can't get out of something really bad? Okay, if I have a horrible boss, does that mean I need to work for that person the rest of my life? You know, if, uh, take my parents, okay? If my parents are horrific, does that mean I li- need to live at home till I'm 98? You know, well, is there is there any is there any options here as far as when I'm in a situation that's really bad? I just want to read a section from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 17 through 21. It says this: Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in the matter, let him walk. And so I direct all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Now, you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about there? He said, look, when they came to know Jesus, if you were circumcised as a Jewish person, uh, do you need to take that mark off of you if you're a man? And he said, no, you don't need to change that. And if you, were, if you were not circumcised because God had chosen his people and they, the, the man had to be circumcised, you now need to be circumcised. Now, that's not the plan. And then he goes on, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Uh, there was an exception when that was a ministry thing for, for Paul with Timothy. But what matters is keeping, here's a key thing here, is keeping the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? 
Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but he's, what he was saying here, some of you came to know Jesus when you were under a master, not just a boss, but under a master. They were the slave owner and you were the slave. Now, the most important thing, this is the radical thing about following Jesus. What's more important than anything that happens around us or even to us is what is happening where? In us. And once you know Jesus, it's better than anything that's out there. But he's saying, look, I want you to understand if, if you are a slave and there are ways to, to no longer be a slave, then take that. You don't have to remain a slave. And, you know, we don't, you know, praise God, I don't have slavery now in America. But that's the same thing with being in a job you hate. You have, if you don't like the job, go get another job, Right? If you're like the school you're going to, go to another school. If there's something in your life you can change, but recognize that, let's say a job, you could leave one job and the next job you get could be, it could be worse, right? So make sure you know where you're going before you leave. So yeah, if you can get out of something that's really bad, then get out of something that's really bad. But how about another question? Does, does submitting mean I need to do everything, and I put the law says, but you could put it this way. Does submitting mean I need to do everything someone in authority is telling me what to do? And the answer is going to be both yes and no, and we're going to look at it. Yes, if what they're asking you to do is moral. In Romans 13, 3, it says this, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Now, you need to remember, when he wrote this, he wrote this to people who are under the, the, the power and the, the umbrella of the Roman Empire. Now, everyone in government, you know, even when they are crazy, think they know what's best for you. Isn't that true? You know, I know what's best, and so do what I tell you to do. Now, in their mind, they're saying, look, if you do what I tell you to do, that's going to be good, and I won't punish you for doing good. Now, if you don't do what I tell you to do, that's going to be bad, and I'm going to punish you for being bad. Now, most of the things they, they being in leadership in governments or other institutions, uh, it might be self-serving for them, and it was self-serving for them, but if you just follow what they tell you to do, you're not going to get in trouble because you're following their plan. And so just because, uh, as we think about it, uh, when would we not follow them when, when they asked to do something that was not moral? So if it's, it's moral, go ahead and do it. Right? Secondly, what if they ask you to do something that's just irritating, just something just just drives you nuts? Well, you already read in 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 and 19, that uh, even when they're not good, even when they're not gentle, even when they're unreasonable, uh, you still need to submit, and you need to submit to them in respect. You need to understand that you might have a better way to do something, and you might appeal to them a better way to do that, but if they want to do something that's not going to work, and you're underneath them, you just do what they say. It's irritating. You know, it's not the best, but they're in charge, and you are not. And so you need to understand that God has called us to follow people when they don't, when, when 
They don't ask to do something that's immoral, and they, and they ask us not to do anything, and they, what they're doing just irritating. If we can't leave the job, just do what they say. But are there any exceptions? The answer is no, and this is the primary statement here. There's a lot of different applications. If, they, if they, what they ask you to do obviously is immoral, or what we would say here, causes you to disobey God. And here is the line that is drawn here. If someone is asking you to disobey God, then you need to obey God rather than men. There's all kinds of illustrations of that. In, in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, we have these words. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot keep speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so when the government or someone other people in responsibility tell you you can't talk to people about Jesus, you have to decide, am I going to obey Jesus or am I going to obey my person who has authority over me? Now, how you do it and when you do it and what, what circumstances you do it, I think that can be measured and monitored in certain situations. But as we think about it, we, we have the God-given responsibility to talk to people about Jesus. That was also true in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So as we think about submission, um, one, if someone asks you to do something immoral, dishonest, then you say no. If it's just irritating or foolish, you still need to respond to their leadership. But if they ask you to disobey God, you continue on. In, in Exodus chapter 1, and I won't read the entire section there, but in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh told the midwives to take every male child out of the womb and what? Kill him. Very similar to the abortion issue we'd have today. And at that point, when we live in a world, in our government, where they allow abortions to take place, but drawing the line is, well, I'm not going to be a person who's going to participate in that. And if you make me do it, I'm, I'm not going I'm, I'm to obey that law where you tell me to abort my baby. But there's another uh, idea we want to look at here as well. As we think about it, well, how does, that, how does that relate to where we're living right now? And, and I did want to get to this point. We, we, uh, we're now living in a time where the government has said a variety of things to churches, what we can do, what we cannot do. And one of the things that's now been opened up is we, and we started a little bit earlier than they did that, is that we, um, we can now have indoor services. But one of the restrictions that they still have in the books, as far as I know, is that when you're indoors in worship... You can have a talking head up here, speaking out here, but the people out there should not be doing what? Singing, right? There's a restriction on about singing in a public environment in which people are together, even with masks on. Now, we have chosen in the leadership of the church here is that we're not going to obey that law. We're not going to obey the governing authorities on that. And why is that? Because God has called his people to worship. And worship is expressing praise to God. That's not an option for us. 
And we're not going to revolt. We're not going to storm with guns any place like that. But, but we're choosing to allow God's people to make their own choices where they're going to gather to express worship to God in what we feel is a safe environment for them physically uh, to give praise to God. And so we've, we've gone down that path. It's interesting, as I was look, look, looking at passages in, in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40, we have uh, as Jesus ascended in the triumphal entry, and as uh, he was coming in, the crowd began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to them, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And here's the response of Jesus. I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. See, when people gather in the presence of Jesus, the only, only response is that we've got to praise God. We've got to express that. In Matthew chapter 21, through 14 through 17, and I won't read the entire passage here, but uh, this is after that, and, and the children broke out to sing. And he said, Hosanna to the son of David. They became indignant. This is the leadership of that day. And said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, have you not heard out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've prepared praise for yourself. And so even when children were, were told they had to be quiet in the presence of Jesus, they could, Jesus said, look it, they can't help themselves. They're expressing praise to God. So, so what, do, what do we do in a situation where the government says one thing and what we believe the Bible says another. Well, one, we, we still show them honor and respect, even though we don't think what they're doing is good or beneficial. Uh, we, we, we recognize from our perspective they're being unreasonable, is that we choose at this point to, to obey God rather than men. But we need to understand that you know, we don't know what the consequences could be, but we would take the example of, of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Abednego, you know, is that when they were in that same situation, Daniel, when he was told he couldn't pray, what did he do? He prayed. And he, he suffered the consequences with honor and respect. He didn't scream obscenities at the powers that be, and they put him in the lion's den. And then his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what, what was their situation? They were in a situation where, where, where they going to obey God or obey man, and, and they were thrown in the lion. They were thrown in the, fir, the fiery furnace. And, and this is what they said. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of our hand, O God. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar had done, and, you know, and he was a little fooled by those around him. And they set up this place of worship, and they commanded God's people to worship a man down before a false god, and they could not do that. So as we think about submitting, we submit to all kinds of people and authority and responsibility over us, whether we think they're, what they're always doing is good or considerate or even unreasonable. But when they tell us to do something that is immoral or in disobedience to God, then each of us has to decide where do we draw the line in our following Jesus as the one who is 
possessing ultimate authority over everything. And some will draw the line different, and I think there's a freedom with that. And I think that's illustrated in, in Romans chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, where Paul writes, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. And I put this one in your outline this morning. Uh, does submitting mean I do everything the law says? Yes, if it's, if it's moral, and yes, if it's simply disirritating. But no, if it causes you to disobey God. And, and you can make a general statement here. No, if it causes you to do something you can't do in good conscience. The word conscience it comes from a word that simply means uh, co-knowledge or co-thinking. And each of us have to decide where, where do we draw the, the line in, in those areas which doesn't seem to be maybe directly clear in Scripture. And we pray and we ask God, what, what is it you want me to do? What, 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 is you want, what do you want me to do in response to what is happening in the world today? So what's the point this morning? This point is, is we think about living life for Jesus. We need to remember the how and we need to remember the why. The how is that God wants us, above all other people, to be submissive. He wants us to be willing to arrange ourselves under people or in authority and, and do it with, with respect, with seeing the value in those who have that responsibility and that authority delegated from God and, and do whatever we can to, to major on the majors and not major on the minors. But the reason we do that, the why, is because we're followers of Jesus. And the clearest message that we want to get out there is Jesus is the most important decision and commitment people need to make. Who are you following? Who are arresting not only your present, but your future in? Is it Jesus, the one who gives you hope for now and for eternity? Let's pray together. Father, there might be coming a time, just like what happened in Canada this past week, where a pastor was put in prison for decisions he made in terms of having his people have the freedom to worship openly and publicly. And people can decide to, to, for health reasons and for conscience reasons to, to worship at home or in, in places and situations where they, they feel more comfortable and, and safe. But Father, when, when we make decisions, we, we need to recognize, are we following you or are we are following the dictates of this world. But Father, more than the, the individual decisions that we have opportunity to make, the, the question for each one of us is, who is most important and who is most in authority over our lives? And hopefully we, we recognize that the, what, what we come to when we follow Jesus is that you're the master, you're the Lord, and we're the servant. You tell us what to do, how to do, and why we should do it. And our only desire is to please you in all respects. Help us to be willing to suffer for your sake so that the message of Christ is clear. And help us to give the hope for our own lives and for others that Jesus is the one who can change everything, who can take the sin in our, in our life and forgive it, who can take the hopelessness that is in our life and, and bring us hope, the one who can give us a look not only to our present but our future and recognize because of Jesus we can live life to its fullest. Help us to put our trust fully and completely in you 
And we praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.